You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Now into our science and technology news for the week, uh, you may have heard about the crown of thorn starfish. It's an ever-present hazard on the Great Barrier Reef. The only diet that that starfish eats is coral. Mm-hmm. And so when you get these kind of clusters or swarms of these starfish, they really can do a lot of damage. They feed on live coral. They have done a lot of damage. I mean, there's been other damage caused by environmental effects like coral bleaching, but those organisms, the starfish... And agriculture runoff as well. Yep, so there's, yeah, there's, there's a few factors affecting the reef for sure. But one of them... and, and it's been going on for a while is the crown of thorn starfish and so what they've been doing at the australian institute of marine science is investigating environmentally friendly ways of controlling this pest mm-hmm. what they've come up with is using a giant snail called a triton snail it's a rare snail it's big it's about half a meter across yeah, wow adult size they love eating crown of thorn mm-hmm. starfish and i actually watched a video of this happening in a controlled environment in a laboratory the starfish really start to freak out because they can smell the chemicals released from the snail and as soon as they get anywhere near the snail they try to get away because yeah, right. they know that that's a danger to them mm-hmm. and then basically what happens is the snail just engulfs just wraps itself over the hapless starfish and just eats it so is it like a not regular garden snail but just you know you know 100 it, times it, bigger well, kind of thing it's, or is this it's it's a it's an underwater snail they've got quite beautiful shells apparently so they have been collected for their shells and, mm-hmm. and they're pretty unusual, they're rare. What uh, the Australian Institute of Marine Science is trying to do is to actually breed them and they have succeeded in breeding. Well, they've, they've got a whole bunch of, like I think hundreds of thousands of little babies that are microscopic at the moment. They're hoping to breed them up and, and develop yep. a population that they can use in the reef in areas which have been affected by the crown of thorn starfish and use them either to herd the starfish into areas where they can be collected and removed yep. safely mm-hmm. or actually just use them to eat and get rid of the starfish that way but obviously there's a bit of work to do they need to make sure that there's no impact on the reef by having you know large numbers of the the, uh, snails there they've been given a federal government grant announced last monday of five hundred sixty eight thousand dollars to support the program they believe that this is helping to protect an extremely vulnerable species and possibly managing and preventing the impact of the crown of thorn starfish outbreaks on the reef The first step for researchers is to better understand the triton snail biology and there's still quite a bit of work to be done in that area. They need to find out how it moves, where it goes, what its sort of habits are. All those sort of things need to be known about and understood before they release this fairly rare giant snail onto the reef. Promising stuff there. Hopefully a sort of environmentally friendly way of getting rid of them because up until now I think the way they've been doing it is just people going down, diving down. Yeah, because if you cut them in half, don't they sort of then grow into two separate uh, starfish? Quite possibly. I, I think it's if you can cut off a limb and there's enough of that limb that can sort of regrow into right. its starfish. they regenerate. Yeah. They're hard to get rid of. Yeah, no, they're, a, they're a, a, a thorny problem for sure, if you'll pardon the pun. The thing that they've been doing with them up until now is injecting them with ox bile, which is an acidic byproduct of the cow slaughtering process, which kills the pest, but it's less efficient and potentially damaging to the environment. So they'd rather use snails if they can. Natural solution. An interesting way of tackling that problem. Moving on with the news, DNA robots that walk and sort are being developed. They've built a team of DNA robots that can work together. The robots recognize and can transport molecules on the sort of nano level. And in the future, DNA robots could help deliver medicine to specific cells or build nano devices. So really exciting. It's uh, been published in the journal Science. Researchers at the California Institute of Technology have been developing these little DNA bots 
they can actually perform mechanical tasks, but on the nanometer scale. And, so you're uh, essentially programming DNA to do a certain task and then sending it into the, you know, the, the host agent and then it's, it's then acting on that instruction to become a robot and, and do well, the tasks? Apparently what it does is, is uh, DNA is made up of nucleotides and these are adenine and thymine and cytosine and guanine. These nucleotides can be strung together as a genetic blueprint for living organisms or they can be used to develop these little robots. So it's kind of using the building blocks of DNA mm -hmm. to create a controllable robot that can actually do things for you. One example that they're citing is, is for a blood disorder that's, that people may have. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard to get down to that sort of scale in, in the human body without doing a whole transfusion or that kind of thing. So you could potentially use uh, little DNA robots to actually get into people's bloodstream and, uh, and yeah. fix things for you. This would have to go through a significant amount of testing and trials. And, Absolutely. You know, Pre-human sort of stuff. We're talking maybe Absolutely. animals. And because they're concerned that because it's DNA, then it could actually interact and affect DNA, natural DNA in the human body. So they're obviously going to be very careful before they use them in humans. The future of bioengineering, I guess. It's Absolutely. It's another one of those kind of stories we were saying off air. You know, we've talked about James Cameron being concerned about the future of AI and how there's prophecies of terminal too and the rise of the machines and Skynet mm -hmm. seem to be coming true well potentially you could have maybe human soldiers who've had their bodies augmented with uh, these DNA robots so that they don't feel fatigue or they don't feel fear yeah. or they're super strong you can breathe underwater or something yeah. yeah I mean who knows the sky's the limit but we are living in a world where you know what seemed like distant science fiction and stuff of uh, fantasy seems to be coming true on a regular basis these days so uh, we'll publish more information in our, in our show notes about this nanoscale scale DNA robots. Just moving on, a popular Russian antivirus software has been banned in, by the US government completely. So a directive from the Department of Homeland Security has issued a binding operational directive which calls on US government agencies and departments to find any use of Kaspersky software and remove it. After 90 days, it needs to be completely removed from systems and discontinued in future. The government is saying that uh, the risk that the Russian government, whether acting on its own or in collaboration with Kaspersky, could capitalise on access provided by Kaspersky products to compromise federal information and information systems directly implicates US national security. They're pretty serious about it. They are allowing a kind of a right of appeal in a way. The Kaspersky Lab co-founder and CEO Eugene Kaspersky has previously offered to let the US government see the source code of his products on multiple occasions and he accepted an offer to testify before the House of Reps in the US in defense of his company. There has been some grumbling from the, uh, the Russian government that this is anti-competitive and unfair to a private business that is providing a, a useful product, antivirus software. There is some concern that it may be providing information to the Russian government as well. Finally, from me, artificial intelligence is changing personal finance. There are now apps that can remind you if you're exceeding you know, a budget that you've set for yourself, mm -hmm. if you've withdrawn too much money from your account or if you've spent too much on your credit card, you can get an alert now. You were saying that uh, the Commonwealth Bank app will now tell you if you've got a shared credit card, if, if a purchase has been made by someone else who's got access to that card. And, yeah, it sends, uh, you, it sends you a notification on the app to say, you know, you've spent X amount of dollars on this, even if I've just made the purchase, whether it be online or in person. 
and if it's a new vendor, then that way it sends through the message, which is, I think it's a good security feature because if I didn't make that purchase or someone that I know authorized didn't make that purchase, then I can act on that straight away to prevent further purchases. Yeah, um, and you can do things, I think with that Commonwealth app, you can actually shut down your credit card temporarily right. yeah. from your phone and then uh, reactivate it once you've found it or once yeah. you're satisfied that it's not being misused. There has been a little bit of erosion in trust of the traditional banking players or financial services players in Australia as demonstrated um, for example, in recent times with the Commonwealth Bank scandal, mm-hmm. those uh, ATMs that were being used to launder money, yep. 50,000 transactions that were uh, involving organised crime, potentially, mm-hmm. that's the claim. The door's starting to creak open a little bit for other players to enter this Maybe space. Maybe digital currencies, Yeah, for well, digital currencies, yeah. absolutely. We talk a lot about Bitcoin on this program. We've got a lot of podcasts, if you're interested in Bitcoin, on our website, beyondinfinity.com.au. But there's a couple of apps. One is called Acorns Australia. That's the one that alerts its users if they've been spending too much money on ATMs or on their credit card. There's another one called Simply Wall Street, an Australian-based service that creates summaries using natural language processing software, which is another form of limited artificial intelligence, as well as data visualizations for stock investors to track the performance of their portfolios at a glance. The guy behind that is Alistair Bentley, the founder of Simply Wall Street. He says the idea that a major robot that picks stocks for you sounds quite dangerous to me. You have whole hedge funds with teams of PhDs who are trying to do that. So if anyone's selling that kind of thing to you, I would say I'd probably run away. So he's saying it's kind of too early yeah, to sure. be putting your trust in an app for deciding what stocks to invest in. But that's potentially the way that the world's 100% going. 100% it is going that way. And there will be a coming time when you you say, well, I want an aggressive investment plan that would just keep an eye on certain stocks and it would maybe buy microtransactions or major transactions and just automatically update your portfolio. So as soon as something is maybe dropping down and you want to buy more, it will just automatically buy it. Or as soon as it's gone up in value and you want to cash out, then it will build that into the system for sure it's going that way yeah no question it is indeed so a bit of cautious optimism for the future of that tech in financial services just another industry that's being disrupted by the digital revolution that we live in john what have you got for us well last week we talked a little bit about the uh, equifax security failure that happened so this is where 143 million u.s customers or about 44 percent of their population had their data breached Mm -hmm. and so this was social security numbers and we've got we do have a podcast up on the website if listeners want to catch up to date with that particular story. Mm. I just wanted to sort of add on to that. There's a couple of things that have come out in the last week uh, regarding this. And one is that there is a site, a website that was originally set up to process uh, parking fines easily without a lawyer. So this was a a guy that developed an AI or a website that basically allowed you to sort of pre-fill in all the forms so that you could go to court quite easily or submit the correct documentation without having to engage the services of a lawyer. Now, he was caught up in this breach, I guess you would call it, uh, with, with the 143 million US consumers. Which is actually in our, our weekly news from last week, from the 12th of September. Yeah, so, so head in, to the weekly news and yep, listen into that one. Yeah, yep. yep. And so basically, he then modified his Do Not Pay bot, which was designed as a sort of a avoid parking fines bot. Mm. And then he's modified that to allow people to pre-fill out the forms required for a civil claim against Equifax. Right. So this can be damages to go from 2500 up to, say, $25,000, depending on which state you are. On his website, uh, we'll have a link on our website to it. And basically, it, it sort of just says, well, automatically sue Equifax for up to $25,000 depending on your state and then you can sort of follow the bouncing ball and it will actually fill out all this information. So it could save 
you dollars by not having to hire a lawyer. Now, there's still a class action that will occur. You know, you can still be part of that if you are caught up in this, if any Americans listening in. Just also on this, one of the reasons potentially that there was security problems is that Equifax actually hired a music major as the company's chief security officer. So this role typically is reserved for someone that's got extensive bizarre, isn't it? knowledge in you know networking systems and security systems. So the person that was in charge of the data security had a bachelor's degree and a master of fine arts degree in music composition from the University of Georgia. And that's according to her LinkedIn profile. Now she has since abruptly retired from the company, but obviously this is affecting you know millions of people. And so was a poor decision on that company's behalf. Wow. Just another small little thing on this story, it just, it's just to compound the problems. Yeah. They actually hold part of this data down in Argentina. They access it from down there. Right. Again, a huge warning out to businesses that do this sort of thing by keeping some of the default settings on, but apparently the login and the password were both admin and admin to get, gain access to this system. So if you're trying to hack at the first two things you try would be basically correct. Yeah, that's, the, that's the default. And that's mm. it's so easy to test. And this is how people, someone got in or a group of people got in and was able, that's not necessarily saying that this was the exact method, but if they can't even get this basic simple system right mm. of changing these sort of default passwords, that's why we have problems this. Like would this would have to be very damaging to the reputation of Equifax. If, very. And, and look, this is, I guess it's a, it's a word of warning to other businesses, no matter your size, don't just rely on the default passwords that come with your modems or any other mm. you know equipment that mm. you're using for your business because mm. it is easy to hack into, especially if you're using these defaults. Mm. We've actually got a story later in the show it's sort of about Bluetooth and some vulnerabilities with that. And so mm. it is about doing your best to protect your data, your everything that goes around your business as well. Yep, and LastPass is one of the, the tools that you use for managing passwords and we've got podcasts on our website about that if you yeah, want to find out more. Definitely, for sure. Now, moving on. Uh, now, CCleaner is a very popular cleaner app that's used on Windows. It's one that I use and certainly recommended to many people. Mm-hmm. It, what it does, it's sort of a w- one or two-step process to clean up the recycle bin and uh, temporary files and your cache, things that are supposed to improve the performance of your PC. So if you clean these out, then you should notice a little bit of an improvement right. on, on your PC. And I tend to use it every other week where I you know, just hit the update button and do, do, do um, things like it. defrag your hard drive, that sort of thing? It doesn't or? go to that far, but it, sort of, it cleans out the things that you can't normally get to. So it's not looking at say, oh, you haven't used this file in six months, therefore get rid of it. It's all the little temporary things like a log file, like when you turn your computer on or off. Mm-hmm. If there was an update, there might have been a file that's stored there that you mm-hmm. don't need anymore. Empty caches that aren't needed. And that's right. Mm-hmm. So... What this does, it just it cleans all that out, and it's very good, very easy to use. Um, one of my preferred cleaning apps. Unfortunately, though, between August fifteenth and September twelfth, it actually had a some malware that was injected into the app, and so this is right. a, a huge concern because it's available through directly through their website for the paid version, but it's through other third-party sites that it's available through for the the free version, which is what I run. Mm-hmm. So users that have version five point three point three using the thirty-two bit system so most people wouldn't probably use the 64 but there is some that have the 32 bit system they were potentially affected there's been no suggestion that that there has been the malicious activity it's just 
that has been discovered in there. It has been corrected with an update to the program. Normally, that's a manual thing you would do, but CCleaner have come out and have actually manually updated this. Okay. So it's just a bit of a word of a warning. If you are running this on your system, please check it to make sure that you've got the latest version above 5.3.3. So 5.3.4 is okay. Anything on from there. Okay. Just finally for me, before we finish up with the news, uh, the high-tech farming, it, it is the way of the future with agriculture. We see that uh, you know if you can measure rainfall or, or if, if you can measure the salinity of the soil or a number of, uh, you know, there's millions of other different things that you can do with agriculture to improve it, then that can mean more money for the farmer. It can be better produce. This is an important way of the future and the and New South Wales Department of Agriculture are joining up with global accelerator spark labs so these are an investment firm that basically look at projects and put money into it in return for equity they've basically said well, look we're happy to be partnering with you guys so spark labs cultivate that's a v8 at the end yep. uh, they're going to partner with them this agricultural team to basically invest in high-tech farming businesses they invest up to a hundred thousand dollars in exchange for an agreed amount of equity so something like what Shark Tank is for the regular business, but this is, you know, for um, agriculture. Mm -hmm. Starting off in Orange in New South Wales, and it does appear to be sort of a New South Wales-based scheme. So any listeners up that way, um, we'll have links to, um, you know, find out more on the show notes. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that the the federal government's actually recently passed legislation about crowdfunding. We actually interviewed Chris Gilbert from Equitise in Sydney Mm -hmm. last year. Uh, again, that the interviews on our website beyondinfinity.com.au, but uh, some legislation that I think he was pretty keen to see happen has gone through. So now it's a it's a more clear legislative environment for crowdfunded businesses, yep. particularly equity crowdfunded businesses, to operate in Australia, mm. which is a good thing. Thanks for listening, and head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show, or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows.